Welcome to Crafting Solutions to Conflict, a podcast exploring how to deal effectively with conflict, actual and potential, good and bad. Engaging guests discuss a range of insights, and I cover tips and topics based on my 35-year fascination with conflict and my experience helping people with it. I'm your host, Jane Bettle, and my goal is to share a perspective on conflict that is both practical and positive. My guest today is Chuck Howard, the Executive Director of the International Ombudsman Association. Our conversation is very timely. October 8th, 2020 is Ombuds Day. Hello, Chuck. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation that we have for a range of guests. Some will have a really good understanding of the work that your organization does, some a bit, and some it's all new to them. But let me begin by asking you how you personally got to the work that you're doing today. Well, I've spent most of my career as a lawyer in private practice in Connecticut, handling civil litigation. And I was chair of a litigation department of a large law firm. We approached a multinational corporation to do more work. The first time they called on me, they asked me to handle a matter where their goal was to protect the confidentiality of communications with the ombudsman for the company. And I uh, appeared in federal court and filed a motion for protective order to protect those communications under a couple of different grounds. That then led to other companies calling me. That then led to kind of my interest in the field of organizational ombuds. And in 2010, I wrote a book called The Organizational Ombudsman. And when I gave up the practice of law after many, many years, I was contacted by the International Ombudsman Association, who said that they had decided to hire their first ever executive director. And they thought with my experience, I would be an ideal candidate and would I apply? And I did. And so for the last year, that's what I've been doing on a part-time basis. I've been the executive director of the International Ombudsman Association. Well, it sounds as if the stars aligned a couple of times for this to be the path that you're on and to do the work you're doing today. I think so, because once I understood why organizations have these and how valuable they can be for both people and organizations, I really became quite a believer in them and think that there is a great deal of potential and, and unfortunately, a fair amount of misinformation about them so that when they are properly structured and staffed, they can do a great deal of good, both for people and their organization. For me, it's an easy assignment. I love what I do. And uh, I think I'm really helping kind of spread the word on this, I think, very important function. Terrific. And I will mention that someone you know well, who is a former guest on the show, Charlie Pillsbury, has described you as the ombuds guru. (laughs) Well, he's very kind. And (laughs) but I do think that even though I practice law here in Hartford, I've probably represented more ombuds programs throughout the country and around the world than anybody else. And it's been a pleasure doing so. But I, 
dealt with more issues as a litigator, but also in writing the book, I have a great deal of history in terms of how all of the pieces fit together. So I do think I bring something to the table from all of that. Let's start from a very basic beginning, which is tell us generally what this is all about and where this concept came from originally. Well, let me start with the pronunciation of the word. A lot of people don't get it quite right. Okay. Uh, Ombudsman, and the current form is often ombuds. So you'll probably hear me saying ombuds as opposed to ombudsman. Mm -hmm. But the origin of it really is from Sweden. It goes back to the reign of Charles XII. And it was an official that he put in charge of the government when he fled to Turkey. Uh, It was revived in the uh, 19th century, early in the 19th century when Sweden developed a parliamentary form of government. And it was really a representative. And the function of it was to help ensure the effective administration of government. So it was a place that people could go with complaints about government misconduct. It's more akin to our current inspector general. Mm -hmm. But that's the original concept. And then it spread from there through other Scandinavian countries and then kind of around the world, more in what we now call is a classical ombuds sense. They're kind of government officials. They often have subpoena power. They conduct investigations. They issue reports. And their function is to really kind of be a watchdog to make sure the government performs appropriately. Okay. It was introduced to the United States, I think, based on all the research that I've done, through a law review article in 1962 by a leading administrative law professor on sabbatical who wrote an article in this law review saying he traveled the world And the idea that he thought was best was uh, this Swedish concept of an ombudsman to help the administrative function of government. Interesting. I think very presciently (laughs) predicted that that idea combined with American ingenuity could have great potential in the United States. And effectively, that's what has happened in the 60s and 70s with the student uh, riots and and the Vietnam War and that sort of thing, ombuds were established really as a conflict tool by lots of universities to deal with student unrest. And so in some universities, going back to the 60s, and particularly after the Carnegie Foundation endorsed a greater role of ADR for universities in 1970 after Kent State, universities have been one of the leading Uh, sources of ombuds programs. And so that was a separate track, and that led Mm -hmm. to its own association called UCOA, University and College Ombudsman Association. In the 1980s, we may recall, those of us of an age, (laughs) that a lot of the companies were involved in procurement fraud scandals, Mm -hmm. much like we had in the early uh, 2000s. But here, there was something called the Defense Industry Initiative uh, with the 17 major defense contractors forming a group that tried to come up with ways to find how people could report misconduct in a better way. And ultimately, that's what led this initial client that I had to adopt an ombuds program. So people could not only deal with interpersonal conflict, but help surface issues without fear of retaliation or retribution. And so in the 80s and 90s, companies began to adopt this. And the practices began to converge around certain standards of practice and a code of ethics. Uh Ultimately, they became one group called the International Ombudsman Association, 
which, as I say, has a standard of practice and code of ethics on in terms of how they work. And those are the organizational ombuds. Okay. Not the classical. And along the way, the American Bar Association, surprisingly enough, has been very involved in this. They had a couple of early resolutions describing kind of what are the essential elements of a classical ombuds, a governmental ombuds. And then in the 2001-2004 era, they had a couple of additional resolutions passed by the House of Delegates that talked about kind of the establishment and classification of ombuds. And they described a third variant of ombuds called an advocate ombuds. Yes. So people may be aware of a nursing home ombuds, for example, or a prison ombudsman. And these are ombuds who are not quite classical because they're not employed by the government, but they're not really organizational because the principles for an organizational ombudsman are independence, informality, neutrality or impartiality, and confidentiality. Right. Here, like nursing home or prison ombuds, actually are advocates for uh, their constituency, nursing home residents or prisoners. Organizational ombuds don't advocate either for management or employees, mm-hmm. really an advocate for fair process, fairness, and equity. And so the standards of practice help them kind of maintain that kind of independent role where they can help people resolve conflict and help them find ways of surfacing issues. So I am fascinated by these different models. And I freely admit that my understanding of the work or the range of types of work that an ombuds could do was not as, my understanding just wasn't as good as I thought it was. So how did this, to my mind, somewhat separate kind of model come about, this more advocacy-oriented idea? And how does that fit? I don't know what else it could be called, but why is that even called an ombuds type of job? Well, if I could go back and wave a wand and make it so, I'd tell all of these different people. <laughs> Not okay. use a different word to avoid the confusion. You know, I think the word ombudsman or ombuds is like organic. Lots of people think they know what it is, but nobody ah. really knows what it is. Yeah. And so uh, whenever there's a problem, people say, well, we should have an ombudsman deal with it. And so there was an issue, I think, in nursing homes and in prisons, for example, to take two reader representatives for newspapers is a third example, where there's a problem with some sort of relationship prisoners to the prison, mm-hmm. the uh, residents to the nursing home or the the readers to the newspaper. And they're looking for somebody with credibility to help resolve issues or conflicts. So it's just another variant. I'm sure that the classical ombuds think that that's, <laughs> you know, not it, it, all it has done is muddy the waters. Does not sound pure at all. We know what we're supposed to be doing and that's not it. Right. And, and at least as far as the organizational ombuds, I can tell you more about that because that's really where my focus has oh, been sure. and I've studied and what I've represented. The problem there is that you have organizations, be it universities, corporations, or other you know, large associations. I mean, I've represented national defense labs, for example. Mm-hmm. And the problem that they have is that you don't have the government that can, by statute, create confidentiality. Right or uh, outline the terms of the program. So there has to be some other basis for protecting them because what makes them different, they're not a formal channel like HR or compliance or internal audit or 
managers. They're an informal channel. They shouldn't be a required step in any process. Mm -hmm. And they don't keep records for the organization. Going to an organizational ombuds should not be uh, giving notice of a claim against the organization. If you want to do that, you need to go to one of these other offices. But they're there to supplement all of those. And so now the question is, what makes them different? And why would you have that? And I think the real answer to that is, it's the confidentiality. Yes. Uh, Many people are just not willing to come forward with an issue unless they're absolutely sure they're right, which is rarely the case. And even if they are sure they're right, they're afraid of retribution. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say, well, we have all these whistleblower laws. You know, whistleblower laws will protect people. But whistleblower laws don't protect people. And that's because no law or policy can protect somebody who comes forward with an issue from peer retaliation, Mm -hmm. from the feeling, it's not really retaliation at all, but the feeling that they have when they don't get the next good assignment, that it's because they raised the issue. Right. And then anybody who reads the papers or follows the news knows that people like, for example, the impeachment whistleblower who raise issues often get screwed. Yes. And so since that's part of the public consciousness, they're just not willing to come forward. And even when when they are, sometimes all they want is information. So if a person is really looking for what is the company's policy or the university's policy or the organization's policy, okay, use organization for mandatory drug testing, that is not something you're going to go to HR about. <laughs> Or, yes. or and, and for obvious reasons, but even personal reasons. If you want to know what the transgender policies are, there's a great deal of personal sensitivity to that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes ombuds are there just as another channel of information to people who approach them. Sometimes it's a longstanding dispute with someone. How can we resolve this conflict? Right. One of the uh, examples that's surprising for lots of people is that that managers often go to the ombuds too, especially middle managers mm-hmm. who are caught in the middle between upper level management that's promulgating policies or plans for, for doing things and the rank and file people below. And you know, where do the where do the middle managers go when they just need somebody to talk to? Sometimes it's to help them make a decision, sometimes it's with communication issues. How do you have better communication in your group or upward? So confidentiality is a huge thing, and I think it's what is really necessary. But you can't have confidentiality if you're the HR or you're the compliance or you're the manager, officer, because you have a business duty to act on information that comes to your attention. By having ombuds have no business management function, operate independently under a charter, they're freed from that. And then they have a mandate to be uh, neutral, impartial, meaning they're not going to be advocates for management or employees. Now they can be an honest broker. And by being informal, they're able to uh, not create lots of records. They're willing, you know, they're able to be kind of conversational uh, to deal with people and not keep track of information other than statistical. It's really driven by the confidentiality that this need for a private organization, organizational ombuds role developed. And once it did, believe it or not, 
it expanded greatly in government. So there are actually organizational ombuds in government in addition to yes. classical ombuds in government. Interesting, yes. There are organizational ombuds in virtually every kind of organization you can imagine. And, and it really comes from this, how do we fill the role for uh, having a confidential resource? And in my view, the confidentiality is a byproduct, and I can go into the legal reasons for that uh, if you want, but the byproduct of the structure that keeps it independent neutral, kind of not an agent for the organization and informal. Well, let me ask you instead so that I have an understanding and listeners do. Let's say I go to the ombuds in my organization. I have something that I'm very concerned about and involves a peer. And I say, this can't go on. We're making each other crazy. Of course, I think I'm right and the other person's wrong. Are there then a range of possibilities that might come out of that from, I got this off my chest to something involving the other person. Yes. And that's what ombuds do. There's a creative role for them and they don't make decisions. They don't take action without permission. So if somebody came with that type of an issue to an ombuds, what the ombuds would do is say, there are lots of ways that you could address this. Mm -hmm. One might be developing better communication skills so that you can address the issue directly. And if you would like, we can engage in some coaching or role playing to help you understand kind of how a conversation like that might go. Another way that we could deal with this is having a facilitated conversation. You know, many times the scars are so large and deep that two people just on their own can't break through that. Right. And with permission from the first person, the ombuds might approach the second person and say, uh, would you be willing to have a facilitated discussion and I will be with you and I'll make sure that each side has a chance to speak and kind of air their concerns. Sometimes that can be a very transformative approach. Now, is it possible for that second person, because this is meant to be voluntary, to say, no, I don't want to have that conversation? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and there may be other options that an ombuds could come up with depending on the facts of the particular case. So it could be that Maybe the reason they've got a conflict is because of some kind of structural reason or kind of assignment. Maybe one of the options is to equip uh, either the first visitor or the ombuds with the first visitor's permission to approach a supervisor to clarify the underlying responsibilities or assignments in a way, not telling them what to do, but say, you know, there may be a need to uh, add more clarity here to keep people from competing with each other in this space. There are a whole host of ways. And and this is what ombuds can really do because they tailor it uh, not only for the circumstances, but kind of what the preferences are. And sometimes people, you know, leave and want to think about it and then come back. As you're describing that possibility of, of the ombuds going to someone else who didn't even know, gee, I might be involved in this concern, I'll call it in some way. It sounds as if there has to be support for the individual ombuds or the role or the position or office of the ombuds from the very top, or else people could just say, I don't want to talk to you. I don't have anything to do with you. I think the ombuds idea is ridiculous. Support at the top is essential, but support at the top really is in the self-interest of the people at the top, Uh because we've only talked about ombuds help people. And I think ombuds, and when I say ombuds, I'm talking about the organizational ombuds. That's kind of perspective that I have. 
the function really is a dual role. Organizations have these roles to help people. And then by helping people, they help the organization. So they improve the organizational climate. They resolve conflict. And they also are authorized without breaking confidentiality of individual communications to those systemic issues. Mm-hmm. For example, people have come forward with issues about a particular uh, supervisor in misconduct or kind of an abrasive style. Depending on the circumstances, the ombuds may find ways to raise with senior management that maybe the uh, second or third tier level managers need more training in a particular area. There are lots of ways that you can surface an issue without necessarily disclosing names and places and times. And an ombuds can be very helpful in alerting senior management to issues uh, without compromising confidentiality. Let me give you an example, if I may. So a person comes to an ombuds and says, I'm in a facility. We're having construction work done on the facility. I'm also a member of the union, the trades union. And I'm looking at the work being done by the subcontractor in my trades. They call it electrical work, for example. Okay. And it's not safe. I'm a member of the union and I cannot be associated with reporting this. Not even if I went to the compliance officer Uh -uh. and said, you know, try to keep me out of it. Um, I can't do it because if I go to the union hall and they know that I'm that person, you know, I'll get beat up or my tires will be slashed or whatever. I'm worried about the safety for the organization. Is there any way we can surface this issue? When that came up in a particular situation, what the ombuds was able to do is to talk through various options. And the one selected by the visitor was to authorize the ombuds to go to the building manager in the facility and without saying anything more than, I think it would be a really good idea for you to arrange to have the building inspector make a visit and mm-hmm. inspect the work that's being done. So all that building manager knows is that the ombuds is making this recommendation and presumably the ombuds has enough credibility or respect or visibility in the organization that somebody takes what they say seriously, but the ombuds is not going to say anything more and the, and the building manager didn't ask, but they did do this. And when the building inspector came, obviously the building inspector makes it look like a routine inspection, but suspects that something's going on. Why would right. they call and ask for an inspection? Right. <laughs> they find the problem and solve it. And so it's the problem is solved. Nobody is compromised in terms of their identity. The idea that you can bring forth important issues, confidentiality is reinforced. And so it helps people and it helps the organization. Well, Chuck, I'm sure that not every organization out there has an ombuds in place. What tends to motivate an organization to say, this is something that we should do? Over the years, I've learned the old expression that that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Uh, (laughs) So there are organizations with very good ombuds programs that have gotten themselves sued or have had a problem somewhere along the way, and they realize that they had this gap in communications. Uh, There are other places that are very committed to the workplace, and so they've empowered task forces of people to come up with better ways of addressing issues. Mm -hmm. I've seen good programs come out of both of those. But it's usually perceived that there is somewhere along the way 
unresolved conflict or concern that people are not willing to come forward with issues. And mm-hmm. so that's the principal motivation, whether you know they've been subject to an SEC order or shareholder derivative lawsuit or a class action suit, or just have a very enlightened management. And then what comes out of that is an ability to see how all the parts fit together. And somebody who's familiar with kind of large organizations knows that it's not a question of whether there's going to be misconduct in a large organization. It's a question of when and where. (laughs) And one of the important principles, I think, of an ombuds is a role kind of as a, if you will, a check and balance. I mean, I think there's a fundamental, not a constitutional principle because it's not written anywhere. I think there's a common assumption that our organizations should be fair. They should have fair processes and they should try to do the right thing. Those are principles that may not be articulated everywhere, but I think most people would believe in them. Uh, And that's kind of around the world. And so the ombuds, by being disassociated with management authority, have the ability to serve as a check and balance. There's a blockage in processes. Sometimes it's with HR or formal channels. I was dealing with an example recently where there was conflict between the EEO officer director and the HR director. And here we have two formal functions. And it was the ombuds who helped resolve the conflict between the two of them. It's predictable. People are human. And so there's going to be blockages. There's going to be slippages or situations where people haven't thought through the downstream effects. By not disclosing confidential communications, but by bringing systemic or problematic or policy gaps to senior management, the ombuds help serve as a check and balance function. And I think that's a very important aspect of why it makes sense to have this role. Thank you. That's a a wonderful point that we can end on. Chuck, I would ask you to share with listeners, and I will put this information in the episode notes for the show, where they could learn more about the association and the work of an ombuds. Sure. The International Ombudsman Association has a website. It's called ombudsassociation.org. And if they want to contact me, uh, it's C. Howard, all one word, at ombudsassociation.org. And that's where the um, more information on this organizational ombuds role can be found. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and very informative. Thank you. I appreciate your having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Crafting Solutions to Conflict podcast, please share it. Leave a rating or review. Subscribe through one of the major apps. For anyone new to podcasts, here's something you may not know. Subscribing is free. You can also find the show at craftingsolutionstoconflict.com. Comments or ideas? Let me know. Until next time, I'm Jane Bettle.